Bandwidth for Changelog is provided by Fastly. Learn more at Fastly.com. We move fast and fix things here at Changelog because of Rollbar. Check them out at Rollbar.com. And we're hosted on Linode cloud servers. Head to Linode.com slash Changelog. This episode is brought to you by Linode, our cloud server of choice. It's so easy to get started with Linode. Servers start at just five bucks a month for your big ideas. Head to linode.com slash changelog. Choose your flavor of Linux that works for you. Then pick a location that's right for you. London, Tokyo, Dallas, and many other places in the world. They've got you covered. Go from having that amazing shower idea to a hosted website in just minutes. Start small, expand as your idea blossoms into a huge hit. And we trust Linode because they keep it fast. They keep it simple. Check them out at linode.com slash changelog. All right, welcome back, everyone. This is the Changelog, a podcast featuring the hackers, the leaders, and the innovators of software development. I'm Adam Stachowiak, Editor-in-Chief here at Changelog. On today's show, we're talking to ML Hussein about ASTs, aka abstract syntax trees. ML is giving a talk at All Things Open on the subject, so we asked her to give us an early preview of it. She's on a mission to democratize the knowledge and usage of ASTs to push legacy code and the web forward. And by the way, we'll be at All Things Open. We're hosting a live JS party on stage. Plus, Jared is giving a talk on Svelte for a radical new approach to building user interfaces. And as a special thanks from the team behind All Things Open, we're giving away five free passes to the conference. And all you have to do is tweet, I want a free pass to All Things Open because, and state your reason why, and copy at changelog and at All Things Open in the tweet. We'll send DMs to each winner next Friday, September 27th. Good luck and enjoy the show. Oh, one more thing for those who don't want to wait and just want 20% off your pass right now, use the code changelog20 when you buy your tickets. The code is unlimited, so tell your friends. Head to allthingsopen.com to learn more and register. So, Mel, thanks for joining us. First of all, congratulations to your first week as engineering manager at NPM. It's bittersweet. Tell us uh, what's new here. Thanks so much, Jared and Adam. Uh, so hi, everyone. My name is Amal Hussain. Um, I am a new engineering manager at NPM. It's my first week. And uh, I came uh, at 10 p.m. via Boku, where I was uh, an open web engineer uh, working on some pretty awesome stuff uh, in terms of um, web conformance suite t testing uh, with browser interoperability, uh, as well as working um, most recently on GameBender, which is a scratch-based uh, game console, uh, which uses computer vision and all this other cool stuff, all open web APIs, um, and to, t to teach kids uh, how to code creatively. So that's what you were doing at Boku, or that's what you're doing now at NPM? That's what I was doing at Boku. Uh, I was doing a lot of um, work around uh, product, um, uh, I would say product mm -hmm. engineering, uh, and really... Uh, it, it became very clear to me uh, that I um, needed to kind of boss up a little bit <laughs> because I was, you know, um, consistent, like just really, I think, strong at managing up, sideways, down, and uh, for a pretty large project. Mm -hmm. um, I was a tech lead for that project. And um, I just, I'm stepping into my love of product um, by, uh, you know, 
being an engineering manager, which combines the best of, uh, I think the, for me, the best of both worlds, which, you know, you're, you're, you're able to, to be hands-on with the team and uh, drive technical strategy. And you're also able to um, work with all of the stakeholders that are involved in the software delivery process. And um, it's just something that I really enjoy doing. I've kind of consistently been the go-to person at every team at every company for a variety Uh of things and so um, it was a really difficult decision to make if I'm honest Uh, it was very very difficult Um, I identify as a woman and as a person of color um, and for me to kind of walk away from the full-time responsibilities of delivering software just just that aspect it was it was a very difficult decision. Um, and, but I realized that, uh, there's even less of me, you know, in engineering leadership. And so, um, you know, that's, that's where I I think I get some kind of solace, which, you know, uh, I'm, I'm giving folks an opportunity to have like a a woman of color as a manager, (laughs) which is a very rare, rare thing for most people in our industry. Well, that's awesome. Uh, I'll say congratulations and good luck because you're just getting started. I hope you have a lot of success there. Boss up. It's time. It was time to boss up. I like that. It was time to boss up. It was time to boss up and and own own my bossiness (laughs) too, which, you know, it's so you just have to take a step back and realize like, you know what? Hey, I'm I, I, I can yeah. do this. It's, it's quite, quite simply that. And, and I think a lot more folks from our industry need, need to make the, the hard decision that I made because there's a ton of really bad managers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, and, uh, folks who really, um, don't focus enough on mentoring or don't focus enough on, you know, uh, just kind of, uh, the overall, yeah. uh, technical strategy. So, uh, yeah. I'll tell you what though, being a leader is one of the toughest positions because you get criticized, scrutinized, not only by yourself, which is where it usually begins, but then also from the externals, you know, people who don't even know you will criticize you. And then people who really know you will also criticize you. So Everybody's being a, a leader is tough. Yeah. It's a really tough position. And that one in particular that you mentioned, you know, with uh, interfacing with so many stakeholders, it really requires somebody who's very empathetic, right? Can see all sides kind of be, put the position, put them in positions of everyone else's position to sort of like drive the ball forward and take nothing personal or at least try to. Yeah. I, um, I agree wholeheartedly with your, with your analysis there. Um, it's, you know, there's a great, great quote, um, heavy lays the head who wears the crown mm-hmm. or something like that. And, you know, it, there's a lot of, um, I think freedom you get, uh, in a leadership role uh, where, you know, there's a lot of autonomy, you know, you're, you're able to kind of drive decisions and really make an impact for good or for, for bad. Uh, But, but with that comes a lot of responsibility. And one of those is like, you know, taking responsibility for failures Mm -hmm. or or like missed opportunities. Um, And I think what's interesting at NPM and uh, about this is, you know, I've always had a dream of being a tool maker uh, tooling and that's kind of like my stuff. Like that's like my jam, right? Uh, it's kind of always into kind of architecture, infrastructure, like how things connect. I'm, I'm very much like an in-between person. Um, when I worked on server-side, uh, code, I, you know, middleware was like, uh, you know, something that was interesting to me because it touched, you know, because of, because of the, um, intersectional nature of it. And so, you know, at NPM, in many ways, like I'm fulfilling my lifelong dream of, you know, being a tool maker, uh, you know, and I think as uh, an engineer that's a tool maker, 
you know, we have the toughest customers because, you know, people are relying on us to then do their jobs mm -hmm. and like make their magic happen. Mm -hmm. And so there's this extra layer of like not only scrutiny, but also um, really we're, like we're the toughest customers, software engineers, you know, because we can which because we can make um, we're the toughest and we're the toughest cost customers because we we make. Uh, we can we, we can make the thing that we're using if we really sat down. And sometimes and you so, do. Sometimes you make your own thing because somebody else's thing isn't good enough. Right. And you got two things. Right. It's is, <laughs> is, is, is anybody else's thing ever good enough? Let's be honest. You know. Uh, so uh, yeah, if if you could wave a magic wand and like you know have the skills to write your own IDE, you know, in, in, in a day or a week, I bet you would, uh, you know, cause you want it right. your way. And so, you know, there's, there's an arrogance and yeah. there's a pickiness in our industry. And, and much of that I think is, is, uh, is to be expected. You know, we have really hard jobs because ultimately the engineers that kind of criticize you as a tool maker, uh, f that serves them, th those, those same engineers are also criticized by their users and customers, right? So ultimately, they're also being judged. So they're going to be, it's like an exponential judging chain, right? <laughs> <laughs> so. What's interesting there is that uh, contentment is often the enemy of progress, right? So like if you're content, you tend to not want to progress and get better, you know? So then you have this idea of discontentment sort of like becoming a norm, in our industry, where in some cases, discontentment is sort of frowned upon, right? Like to be discontent means you, it's just like not a good position to be in, I suppose. Because it breeds envy yeah. and jealousy. Right, right. And so, you know, as an industry, just based on the desire to progress, which we all want to, because that means that our tooling gets better, our software gets better, et cetera. You know, if, if we have to live lives of discontentment, I wonder how that really impacts us psychologically hmm. in our industry. Yeah, I, I think that's like... I think that is a topic that I would like to dive into. Um, it, 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 like, not not right now, <laughs> right here, but 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 definitely in the future because I I think there's like the intersection of like psychology and like all of the pressures that are on us as engineers and like the continuous improvement, continuous mm -hmm. change. Like, I you know I I, I wish we had like more. Um, cultural anthropologists that were studying technologists because I think there's a lot of really insightful behavior and just just insightful things in general that you know mm. that are probably very unique to our industry and and how those things kind of play out on our on our lives outside of the terminal right, you know yeah. is I think that's another really interesting story beyond the terminal, um, I like that yeah beyond the terminal yeah buy that domain now <laughs> sounds like a podcast since you mentioned your, your <laughs> yeah. desire for this, it's something a podcast we're, we're actually creating called Brain Science. That's true. Oh, we have, uh, that's, that's dope. Uh, in, in the prequel thing we mentioned. Maybe I should be on your podcast. <laughs> you know, we're actually taking guests sometime soon. We, we want to dive into this. We're exploring the inner workings of the human brain to understand things like wow. behavior change, habit formation, mental health, and basically what it means to be human. So brain science applied, not just what do we know about the brain, but how can we apply what we know about the brain to sort of transform our lives and better our lives? And some of that is this, this anthropologist type approach towards our industry. Hmm. Yeah. I, um, I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, there's, uh, there was a, a major at, um, at my college that was called, um, was it society, technology and policy? Uh, and there, I, I thought that, 
you know, if I was like 20 years older when I went to school, like, I feel like that's what I would have done. Um, because I, I find I would have probably done that as like a double major because it's, you know, for me, I consider myself like a very intersectional human, uh, because of a variety of things, like, you know, not just my, um, family background, uh, and, uh, like life experiences, but, um, even just my interests within the industry, you know, I like, I'm an engineering manager, like that job is hugely intersectional. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, you know, the, 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 like, I, I think that's like a super, uh, like re- relevant thing to like explore. Um, and what the, um, what the effects of that are like moving forward, like as we progress in this like new and uncharted like territory of, you know, yeah. uh, the digital Absolutely. age. So yeah. what? Well, I'll add one more layer to that. We often look at the internet as in like so many years, like being a teenager. I think what it's about twenty years old now. I remember Ish. a couple of years ago, it got its uh, its driver's license. So I think it's okay, around yeah. drinking age, like twenty one in the U.S. So I, I know that software's <laughs> been around longer than that, but that would mean that in a similar way, engineers in that era are similar in their maturity level, not so much individually, but corporately. Meaning that we've been yeah, doing I mean, this internet thing for the same amount of time the internet's been around. Basically, or? yeah. So we we can we can uh, you know we can assume I would say to some degree that our uh, awareness of how to best drive the thing is predicated on how old the thing is. Definitely right? a young industry. Right. Yeah. So we're still learning. We make mistakes, and that's human. And yeah. a changing industry, right? So, human. I mean, yeah. physicists, there's a lot to learn beyond, like, astrophysicists, right? But, like, the the basics of physics are the same as they've been. And so right. that's a thing where... Theoretically. Yeah, I go back to the idea of civil engineering, right? Like, how to build a bridge in a structurally sound manner is a a tried and true right. science. Right, right. It doesn't the, change the, every you year. You could have written that book 100 years ago, and it'd be slightly different now, but it'd be pretty much the same foundations. Whereas we're kind of like figuring out this software engineering, network-based industry where we live our lives and we have our jobs and they're kind of like in the same milieu and like all that kind of stuff is we're very much living it out as we're trying to develop it and we're making mistakes that impact people that we don't even know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it's very young and therefore I feel like we, we really don't understand what all the implications are at this point. Yeah, I I, I want to go a little deep, uh, a, a little like I would say a dollar store philosophy okay. maybe on I y'all, like uh, which is here's my dollar store philosophy. You know, so what's really interesting about the web is not only like how young it is, but also like the impact that it's had and the amount of time, right? And just how like exponential it is in so many mm-hmm. ways. Um, and then you kind of you look at the kind of under the hood experience with developers and just how much change we've had and how actually developing for the web is like an extremely hostile thing, you know, and what other industry do you know that, you know, where we create and like, you know, we're, we're like, well, hope this works, right? <laughs> ship, ship, ship yeah. this and I, I hope this works, right? And, um, and, you know, and it's really interesting to kind of like watch the transitions uh, that we've had where, you know, 15 years ago, you know, it was, or 
more, uh, you know, it was like, hey, actually probably about 15 years ago, it was like, hey, um, you know, you, you, a user comes to a website and server's like, hey, tell me who you are. And it's like Netscape, you know. <laughs> and uh, and then it's like, okay, here's your code for Netscape, right? It's like we've come a long yeah, way. Um, even just just in in that where we've kind of we're now driven by features, you know, are, are more of like progressive enhancement, um, but it's still very hostile, right? Because there's ton of variability um, now. That's it's a different type of variability. It's not so much that browsers have a really, you know, a low interoperability score. It's that browsers are, you know. Um, they're just so much more powerful and there's a bunch of other like capabilities, you know, there's a, there, there's assumptions that you can make on the device size. There's assumptions that you can, you, you can or can't make on the, you know, cap capabilities that are enabled. And so there's just, um, it's like the matrix is growing and the problems are changing. And so it's just, it's really interesting. I, I kind of think of it like, you know, quantum computing style, like yeah. <laughs> there's just so many yeah. things. Some of this happening. might even lead into yeah. the, the bigger topic we're here to talk about too, which is ASTs and legacy yes. code and stuff like that. Yes. Maybe a smaller topic, Change. actually. Yes. Well, something I want to say is that no, yesterday's choices are today's consequences, right? Like, so yesterday's choices, and we're talking about our maturity level in terms of an industry and people and even as an internet, that uh, we're still learning. But yesterday's choices are today's consequences. And that's kind of where we get legacy code from and this need to transpile it into two, to new ways and take care of tech debt and all these things that sort of come along with building software. Good segue, Adam. Good segue. Yeah, great segue. I, I saw that segue coming because <laughs> I'm a podcaster myself. I was like, we're getting there. This is a long-winded, long-winded I saw it coming as well, and it was on, so smooth that I decided to call it out and make it completely not smooth and destroy <laughs> That's the, right. I actually just, <laughs> I okay. killed you the just segue. Janked, you just, you total, you just janked it That's up. Fine, it's okay. I, I forgive we forgive you. you. <laughs> Thank you for the forgiveness. But yes, change, change. The internet is change, right? So it's all about change. And um, that's what we're here to talk mm -hmm. about because I'm really excited. I'm going to be talking about ASTs um, at All Things Open this fall. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I, I'm here, to, here to answer all of your questions, uh, Jared and Adam. Give us the rundown from the uninitiated standpoint. So what are ASTs? Who uses them? Why? Why do they use them? What's their purpose, etc.? Sure. Uh, so when we write software uh, nowadays, it's really high level, uh, right? You you know var equals you, you know foo. Uh, it, it's human readable words that that are high level, and in order for those things to kind of be fed into a machine, and for you know your your code to get turned into ones and zeros there's a a series of steps that it goes through uh, a, a compiler engine and so uh, one of the first steps is taking your code and uh, tokenizing it uh, tokenizing is a process where you know the valid uh, like syntax items right so in, in javascript that might be like triple equals is syntax you know const is like a, is, is a token like all, all of these things are um, kind of parsed and then uh, a tree so it's tokenized and then we um, a, a tree is generated from uh, the uh, structure of your code and so that tree is called an abstract syntax tree uh, it's not limited to JavaScript it's you know every programming language uses abstract syntax trees to kind of feed into uh, feed into the feed into the um, compiler engine, which you know translates all of that stuff down to bytecode, and the 
the abstract syntax trees are extremely useful in programming uh, because they give us a predictable data structure, uh, t you know, which which helps us understand our code. And so, uh, you know, if you're looking at a, a variable declaration, for example, uh, you know, const Jared equals, you know, string awesome. That's what I was going to uh, say. So that, that <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, that one line of code, including the semicolon, you know, gets translated into a tree that has a predictable structure where, you know, the first thing is, you know, uh, uh, it's a, a JSON tree uh, that uh, has, uh, like, um, you know, a type program, um, you know, it has a body uh, that's an array, uh, that body has, uh, you know, declarations, uh, of, you know, which is an array, and the uh, of objects, object type tree, right? And so it gives you this, this lovely output, which is like a programmatic walkthrough of your code. And, and uh, the, the kind of secret sauce to ASTs here is that, you know, th there's a structure for you to understand what something is, right? So you can understand like const Jared equals string awesome. You know, I, I, I know that the um, identifier, uh, you know, that the, um, it's a, a variable declarator and uh, the value is Jared. And I know that the, you know, um, uh, that the awesome is a string. And so, you know, there's no guesswork, right? And so, and if you think about things like regular expressions that we've used to kind of really parse and understand our code to like find like matches, uh, there's, there's, there's a lot of, um, there, there's inherently like a, um, a conflict between like, you know, trying to find something in, with regex versus like using something like a tree, uh, like that has a, a lot more detail and metadata, uh, because the, the regular expressions are, are really good for analyzing static code, uh, and also, um, but, but they're really not good at understanding kind of the nuances about like the like the differences in in your in your in your code. Um, so I'll give you an example. Uh, so if you have like a comment that's um, if you have something that's commented out, that's a variable declaration versus something that isn't. Or if you have a function that uses the same name as the variable, uh, right? So if you're you're trying to find matches for the, that thing, like it's very difficult. For you, you, you can do it. Technically, you can. It's like just an extremely complicated set mm. of regex that you would have to write, you know, in order to find to, to make sure that the thing that you are looking for is a function. So if you know, so what this tree allows us to do is it basically it opens up a whole uh, like body of of being able to really query your code um, and query it in a way that is extremely precise and scapular. Uh, so you can say, I want to find all of the functions that um, have this, you know, that ha that contain these conditions, you know, that the conditions may be being uh, things that are longer, you know, that have, uh, you know, more than 10 variable declarations, things that have like more than, uh, uh, you know, four if statements, uh, functions with more than one, you know, uh, more than like 20 lines of, you know, I want to find promises that, you know, uh, don't have catch, uh, you know, uh, 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 like they don't have error handling, right? And so it, 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 it enables us to, to do a multitude of things in order to like understand our code programmatically and, and deterministically. Uh, and then the flip side of that is 
using tools that um, allow us to take ASTs and uh, transform the code so that we can actually do like an in-place replacement, like you can now not only programmatically understand like your code and find things, but also you can use that to do safe in-place refactoring um, of your code. This episode is brought to you by Git Prime. Git Prime helps software teams accelerate their velocity and release products faster by turning historical Git data into easy to understand insights and reports. Because past performance predicts future performance, Git Prime can examine your Git data to identify bottlenecks, compare sprints and releases over time, and enable data-driven discussions about engineering and product development. Ship faster because you know more, not because you're rushing. Get started at gitprime.com slash changelog. That's G-I-T-P-R-I-M-E dot com slash changelog. Again, gitprime.com slash changelog. The title of your talk is Machine Powered Refactoring Leverage ASTs to Push Your Legacy Code and the Web Forward. You just described what ASTs are and what's interesting about them. I think historically ASTs have been really much the playground or the domain of people who are writing languages or thinking about programming languages and have to have parsers that produce ASTs in order to, you know, take a syntax and turn it into a thing a machine can understand. It sounds like what you're arguing for is that there's a much more mainstream use case for ASTs where lots of developers should know what they are and be able to use them because they provide this metadata and this structure. And we can use them not just to write programming language, but to actually refactor, which is, I've never thought of this before. Can you expand on how you've done this, how it works? And is this something that lots of people should be using? It's really important to for me to kind of democratize this knowledge because it, it, developers, most developers don't realize that they are actually already using ASTs every day in their workflows if they use things like Babel, or Prettier, or ESLint. Um, all of these tools, uh, you know, we, we, we allow these tools to uh, programmatically create code for us and change code for us. Um, and, and we trust them because of the precision nature uh, that comes from leveraging ASTs. And so th there's a whole domain of, I think, um, there's, there's a domain of tools uh, as well as a domain, like some uh, domain areas in our industry, um, uh, ASTs being one of them that I, that are kind of locked away Esoteric. in the library. Li yeah, library author mm -hmm, land, for sure. right? And um, and what happens with library author land is, you know, folks are really busy. Uh, they're maintainers for really large projects, you know, uh, and they're already overburdened. Um, and you know, getting good documentation is a, ch a challenge that like most most folks have out of their projects. So, kind of taking the step to democratize the 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 power of this is is kind of been left on. Uh, like I would say us as, a, us as a wider community. And so um, I've kind of, I've been able to leverage um, ASTs actually. Uh, I, I used, um, uh, I worked on a project at Boku uh, where uh, we were working with the Edge team, uh, this is a while ago, uh, to 
modernize like thousands of tests that were actually written for IE, uh, but that were valid. So these tests were valid because, you know, the web platform like is, uh, you know, we, we don't break the web. And so, you know, we, we, we implement the CSS feature or we implement this, 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 this API. Uh, it's, it's typically stable. We, you know, we just usually enhance it. Uh, and so there, there's thousands of tests that were written for IE um, that were still valid for the web platform because they were testing uh, you know, open web standard APIs, but they, um, but you know, there was, it was using an outdated harness. It was using a bunch of uh, proprietary stuff, you know, mm-hmm. et cetera. Like, so we needed to modernize it and get those tests ready to be shared with the entire world, like uh, via uh, web platform tests, which is a project where all of the browsers, uh, you know, browser, browser engineers contribute and now have a shared, shared test, uh, te- a shared test suite. And so, uh, there were a lot of similar patterns, uh, but there were also a ton of conditions. And so uh, I was able to leverage ASTs to help me power through a bunch of refactoring um, for like thousands of tests. And uh, and I was able to kind of make those changes safely. And it would, if had I done that work manually, it would have been uh, like, a, you know, just X number of days more. And <laughs> uh, not too, only probably. that, but it's just... Mm, yeah, error prone yeah. and like not a good use of a human brain. And so I'm very pro automating repetitive work, also using automation to kind of gate your uh, like to, to, to limit your risk, um, and, but also to to make it easier for you to um, repeat and rinse and iterate mm-hmm. fast. And when you use automated refactoring, um, you, what, you, what you're able to do is. Uh, you know, build up a set of transforms. You're able to change like thousands of files at once, and and if if it's if you you did something wrong, you just redo it. You know, you just Git checkout, change your transform, and then you know run run your refactoring again. Mm. And and so that type of like quick feedback loop is is necessary to be productive in 2019 and beyond. Uh, and so you know we really need to examine. Um, what type of architecture and what type of, I would say not architecture, what types of best practices that like we as a community have because we are entering, uh, you know, an age where we have a ton of aging code and infrastructure because our standards are changing so fast Um, and NPM dependencies are are great. That's like like a, that's a good case study. Uh, for 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 um, looking at change, right? So if a library author changes an API, or if you have like an internal private module and you want to deprecate something, you can use ASTs to, uh, you know, ver- to to upgrade to a newer version of of the API uh, safely. Uh, you can also use ASTs to uh, write your own custom linting rules around. Hey, I don't want anyone adding new versions of this. Like I'm going to, I have a count a hard-coded count of all of the instances of this thing, and I don't want any new things added into my test. You know, I don't want any new instances of this deprecated module being used. And, you know, so you can you can make that decision binary, and you can enforce those things for your team, you know, in a way that's binary and where, you know, you're not having folks having unproductive discussions, right? So I, I'm a huge fan of, like, no nits, no, like, like let, let, our code reviews shouldn't be uh, we shouldn't be like arguing over things that are 
team conventions mm-hmm. or like why did what like previously agreed upon things, you know? So it's brain power is expensive. <laughs> like and if you if you if you make if you make it binary, uh it's 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 harder to have like you'll you'll have more productive discussions in, in code review, right? Like let's not talk about linting, mm-hmm. let's not talk about this. Um and lastly what I'll say is that uh using um using ASTs is is one way to to really, I think, add a, a resilience layer to your code base, right? Because, you know, if you're fixing a bug, the first thing you should ask yourself is, all right, I fixed this bug. Could I have fixed, could I have avoided this with like a linting rule? And if the answer is no, the next question is, okay, could I have avoided this with like an integration test, right? Uh, sorry, a unit mm-hmm. test. And if the answer is no, then then integration test, right? So you can, you know, it's kind of the first, for me, it's like a, writing your own custom linting rules or custom transforms and all these things are like a first layer defense for um, yeah. a lot of a lot of things in code bases that are easy. Do ASTs typically be written in the language that you're testing against? So where do you begin? Like what language are they written in? Are they a separate project? Do they live inside the monorepo? What's the la- the landscape? Yeah. Yeah, great question. I uh, so I, I've only worked with JavaScript uh, uh, in terms of uh, uh, using tools around uh, ASTs uh, and JavaScript, um, and so the uh, what what you need is a parser, and and um, there are projects like Babel that have their own you know they have a their own parser, Esprima, Recast. Uh, there's there's tons of different uh, JavaScript parsers, and the differences are like really nuanced because uh, they all have the same general structure, but then they have some additional information uh, like that. Sorry, the trees that the ASTs uh, trees that they output um, have a different information based on, uh, you know, what the preferences are of that tool in terms of how they want to traverse their trees, et cetera. But typically like it's a three, like it's a, it's a three-step process. So the first thing you need is a, um, actually a diagram here. I, I, I was, I was going to say, should I share my screen? But this is a podcast, so we're going to have to talk through a diagram. So, you know, you need a parser, uh, a transformer, and a, and a, a generator. And so the, par- the parsing tool uh, basically just creates a tree for the input code. And then you have a, um, a transform that, like, basically lets you query the, query the generated tree. And then you can say, oh, here, uh, I found the thing in the tree that I want. Now let me, you know, create a new AST. Like, let me create a new structure for what I want to replace, you know. Like, if I want to change the value of something or if I want to, you know, remove something or whatever. Let me make that, uh, let me make uh, uh, that change in the tree. And basically a new tree gets generated from the, you know, from all of the transforms. And then that tree that gets generated now needs to go back into mm-hmm. code. So that's the third step, right? So we need a generator. So that's that's like the reverse, it's the reverse of the parser. So it takes a tree and then it makes code. Um, and so those are kind of the three things, uh, but we typically like, uh, so, so depending on what tool you're using, uh, you know, you're, uh, you're kind of chaining together a parser, a traverser, you know, a transformer, a generator, or you're using something that like does everything for you altogether. Um, JS Code Shift is what I really like to use because it, it's a wrapper for recast, which uses Esprima from uh, Mozilla. It's a parser from Mozilla. Um, that um, So re- recast, so J- JS Code Shift uh, wraps recast uh, and, w- and gives it a very nice 
jQuery style declarative API. So it's just really nice to write. Um, and uh, the folks at Facebook um, are, uh, uh, you know, are, are behind JS Code Shift. But Recast is, is uh, you know, you can also use Recast, which is great. I just, I just enjoy the, the declarative uh, nature of using a tool like JS Code Shift. Uh, but you're using JavaScript to write all those things, and there's an API that usually comes with whatever tool you're using, so that you know y you can query, but then you can also create. Mm. And then there's a the last step, which is okay. Now that I've queried and I've created and I've you know now kind of uh, make uh, generate the tree and do an in file replacement. And so in theory, like the entire like when you babble. Or whatever, <laughs> or, or when you run ESLint, you know the the if you make a if you use dash dash fix to make the change, in theory, like the whole thing actually changes, but Git only shows the diff, right? right? So you only see the diff. So the whole the whole tree, the whole file, got replaced in in, in place. So if we just take a simple example, maybe walk it through these three steps. If we had a we, we, a simple example of refactoring is let's change all of our vars to const for example. So yeah. I have all these var statements. I want to use const instead. And I'm going to use an AST in order to do that. So the first step would be take my file or my chunk of code that has the vars in it, pass it through the parser, right? So I have raw text. I'm passing it to a parser. The parser then generates the AST for me, returns an AST. Yep. The, can I read that yeah. AST with my eyes, or is it a blob, or like if you were if you like can matrix read that style, AST. just so you can of... use an AS. You can print it, you can log it, or you can use an awesome tool that I like to use, uh, which is really I think kind of the the standard around this. Uh, it's astexplorer.net. Um, uh, there, it's a site which allows you to uh, just place, you know, just drop code, pick your parser, pick your language, and, you know, you can view the That's tree. Cool. And so the, the really the really great thing is, is, you know, you can use this tool to visualize a tree. So there's no, there's no memorization here. Like, I don't need to know what the tree structure is for a function with, you know, that has a return value of this. Like, I can just drop it in and see the tree. And then I can write the code for what I want to change it to, and then see what that tree is, and so that you know you can you can do reverse engineering to basically say this is what I want to find, and this is what I want want to change it to, or, or you know you have both both uh, like both versions, and you can use that to drive your uh, how you build your transforms. Okay. Um, and and the best I think the best part about it is like this is all written in JavaScript, so you can you know th these are Node scripts that are running, and you can basically do anything you want in, in the middle of a transform. If you want, you can you can say, oh, find me um, this like static list of uh, um, static array uh, list of I don't know images from 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 some cloud server, and you know you can run a transform to say, and then in your transform you can do an API request, get get an updated list, do an in place replacement, right? So you can do kind of dynamic evaluations of mm -hmm. your code so that you can actually have like even though your code is static, it's you can you can ha it can actually be dynamic. You can use you can use transforms to even like change your code or do do pre evaluations and things like that. So it's very interesting. that is interesting. So yeah, ASD Explorer, I'll definitely recommend. I'm pointing it up here. It's we'll link in the show notes if you want to quick click on it. Uh, I think part of the ASTs is there's like this 
like you said, you're trying to democratize this knowledge. There is like a mystical aspect of once you get below source code, you're like, okay, we're now at a, a machine generated thing. That's scary. Uh, you, can I view it? Can I, you know, it just seems like a little bit more nebulous, a little bit more vague, abstract, maybe might be a, a good term. Um, <laughs> but this does a good job, I think, uh, just looking at the example. And I'm sure as you put in your own code into something like this, it probably does a good job of demystifying some of that and saying, you know what, this is uh, not all that unapproachable, and uh, something that is very valuable if you can if you can get past maybe a little bit of that abstractness. So, making it more concrete now, um, once I see, once I have my AST, like you said, you can transform it. So, the transformer operation is that depending on the transforming tool that you are using. You mentioned a couple of different tools. And one has like a jQuery style syntax. That's what would right. it be like if I was like, get, take all my vars and make them const? Obviously, you don't have to like type out the code to us, but like, what kind of a transform would that be? Uh, well, you would say uh, so if you're on AST.NET, for example, you can pick JS Code Shift as your transform tool. And uh, nice. you would basically say, uh, so it uses a declarative jQuery style uh, API. So you know, your your first thing is you're looking at the file source, uh, and then you're saying dot find. I'm looking for an identifier, uh, so I'm looking for like a variable name or a right. function name, uh, and I'm I'm now and then so find a you know identifier, and then for dot for each right. So it's, it's just, just JavaScript, JavaScript looping just on all of oh yeah iterate on all of the identifiers that you find, and then you can match. Uh, you can you can have a matching uh, so you can say if if then if the if that node name is you know uh, Jared you know re- like replace the value to be awesome and that's it you know and then dot to source which like prints the prints the change you know prints the the transform tree back to the same file and so that's it's as simple as it's as simple as that it's actually mind-blowingly easy like on the javascript complexity metric of like you know this this ranks really low i mean this is way below like typescript in my opinion for example like the the the, like you know people look at typescript and they're like i don't understand this you know this is like and then like a week later they're like oh my god I'm, i'm converted forever like for me the the barrier to entry when i teach folks about asts is even lower than that like as soon as i show them an example they're like three minutes later they're like i'm yeah. sold i'm basically looking at this example it's, it's, right here and i'm i'm pretty much sold yeah. as well because this is way more simple yeah. than i would expect it to be i fear there'd be a bigger buy-in um at least to get nope. started it seems it, like it's pretty straightforward it, it, the tooling is, is has made it has made it really easy. When do you reach for something like this in terms of uh, in terms of complexity? Because the simple example of like change my vars to const in my text editor, I can basically you know hit Command Shift A and just you know type in find all const and replace with var. So there's certain things that are IDEs or our editors make those kind of refactorings pretty straightforward, like a find all and replace. But then when do you know, and it's a little bit too complex, but maybe it's just kind of like case by case, you'll just know it when you need it, or I guess the, the maybe the better question is like, is there enough of a barrier where you don't reach for this right away, but you kind of like upgrade to it when it gets to a certain level of complexity? Yeah, I think that's a great question. I, I think it's it's about understanding what your needs are um, and what type of what type of change you're trying to make. You know, if you're trying to make something that's really simple and self-contained and something that you can just do with a find replace, great. Uh, but anytime your uh, your change is conditional or or anytime your change is like more than one line, right? So if it's like a multi-line change, 
uh, that's where you really, you know, moving around function parameters or, uh, you know, uh, like I would say deleting code, yeah. you know, th things like that. Uh, th there's, there's, um, I, I would say that for the, that like the true needs of like what, what we would do as, as, uh, as developers to kind of, um, refactor a, a, a set of hairy code, uh, that's widespread that that's, that's when I would use like, uh, uh, a tra transform. So I would, I would say that like scale, right. So like if something is repeated in multiple areas, if you, if there's something that's, um, a clear pattern, uh, if you're, if you're updating, uh, something that where, where it can be really hard, hard for, um, uh, kind of, a regex to kind of pick up on the differences between mm -hmm. things like, for example, modules, you know, when they're being imported, like, you know, I can also use the star syntax to change the name of something, right? So import foo, you know, you know, as star, like, right, there's, there's lots of little nuances there. And, you know, you can use ASTs to make sure that the change that you're trying to make is like, you're, you're changing the, the thing that you need to change. And, you're not gonna you're you're not gonna accidentally change something mm. else. Maybe like the first time your regex fails you. Like if you you're get you've gotten <laughs> so far with a regular expression and now it just missed a case. And you're like, instead of sitting here and like iterating on that regex and just like keep on tweaking it for these different cases, stop right there. Now it's maybe it's time for an AST because you probably say time that direction. Exactly. And I and I think the I think the ramp up here, which is maybe your deeper question, you know, really I'm advocating for developers to have this in their tool chain the same way they have like linting yeah. support and running tests, right? So we should have an easy way for folks to write transforms. Uh, we should just, you know, take the day or two that it takes to set, set that up, uh, get that into the project with some examples or, and make it so that, you know, folks have a path for, for doing those things. Um, and, and that, that can be twofold. You can, you can use that as an opportunity to create a bunch of custom linting tools, you know, and, uh, and while you're doing that, uh, you know, write, write support for, um, using, uh, uh, you know, uh, adding infrastructure for how to write transforms if you need to, but I, but but ultimately, like if this is in our projects, you know, it's it's folks become even if they don't use it to check in code, even if they use it to just you know while they're developing something to find you know to find what they need, like it's 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 a way to um, I think level up the the our, our like the the le level up the playing field for like everybody because um, the stakes are getting higher. Like we have bigger code bases. Uh, you know, front ends are like huge, right? Really, we're, we're we're thick. Not only thick clients, we have thick servers, yeah. and so um, you know, I I think I also think the culture of like let's throw everything away and start over is like a really expensive one that isn't like a good thing. We should be we should be promoting. Um, folks should feel comfortable with refactoring code, and they should like feel proud about it because you're you're able to still drive value for your for your product and your business while um, pushing your code forward. Uh, so you know, I'm I'm just I'm personally sick of seeing like front end teams like start over from scratch every like 12 to 14 months. So um, let's like just not do that. This episode is brought to you by TeamCity. TeamCity is a continuous integration and delivery server developed by JetBrains that helps you build, test, and release your software faster. 
It supports all popular build tools, test frameworks, version control systems, issue trackers, and cloud platforms out of the box with no plugins required. TeamCity visualizes your build, test, deploy pipelines, collects statistics on each step, pinpoints the root cause of failures, and suggests which commits might have caused the build failure. The professional version of TeamCity is free even for commercial use and lets you set up up to 100 builds and run up to three builds in parallel. For large organizations out there, JetBrains offers TeamCity Enterprise. And right now, they're extending a special offer to our listeners. Get additional build agents and new licenses of certain enterprise versions with a 50% discount. Head to TeamCity.com changelog to learn more. Again, TeamCity.com changelog. So ML, you're obviously passionate about this particular subject. It is somewhat dry. You have to convince people to pay attention to somewhat arcane knowledge like abstract syntax trees, but there's huge value that can come out of doing these refactorings and really allowing yourself to refactor better, faster, stronger. Um, is this a tough sell in engineering teams or do you find it's pretty easy to convince people to institutionalize this kind of a, a tool in their toolbox? Yeah, that's a great question. I I have to say that I think there's a few different things happening in our industry right now. Uh, one is like our kind of, there's like a dopamine hit with, uh, that we get from like new tools and new fresh things starts. and um, fresh starts. And, uh, you know, th there's a problem with like consistently working on new things, which is there's a, 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 a set of challenges in, 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 you know, for developing software that you just don't even get to really explore if you're constantly starting over like your to do like hello world app or your you know create react app or whatever the hell else like great to do to do that every once in a while like I, i'm not sure it's like healthy to be creating new projects all the time uh, in the sense that like there's some real like good engineering challenge that you get from having to understand how to drive value how to make ch like change while still shipping to production, right? There's like, the, the, there's a, how do you maintain, how do you refactor safely? Like, how do I, how do I refactor uh, like a, you know, a, a billion, billion hit a month, like co code base, mm. right? <laughs> while still pushing to production um, and understanding how to do that safely, responsibly under, like, what are the nuances of that? Like in terms of testing, in terms of like, there's so many interesting things. Like there, there's like a, a class of problems that you just never get exposed to. Um, so for me, I, I, you know, I, 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 the heroes in our industry are really the folks who, are, are working on legacy applications and still driving them forward and continuing continuing to chip at them. Um, and one of my kind of, I think my some of my philosophical ideology comes from Martin Frowler, who um, has a really great article, which I think we're going to link in the show notes. Um, I just shared, sent that to y'all. Uh, uh, it's it's a str strangler fig application. Uh, so it's, it's basically he... Uh, it, there, he was on vacation somewhere, I think in New Zealand. But there's this this tree where, like, you know, it's growing roots and it's slowly kind of strangling the the the, the thing. You know, it's growing new roots, but it's so, slowly strangling the oh, old wow. ones. And and so the, you basically the, the the idea here is the, the the pattern is that like you, you can kind of refactor your application mo module by module, bit by bit, uh, and while still driving 
value forward. Uh, and I'm personally like, I'm sick of seeing like the next gen team versus the like old gen team. You know, I've so many companies, I've just, there's, you have a, a, a group of people that are working on something that is not shipping to production for like six months, 12 months, 14 months, 17 months, <laughs> you, you get you, you get the drift, right? So so ultimately, like you're building a whole set of things where you're not even getting that daily, you're you're not getting that feedback loop from your customers on like what's working and what's not. Like you're 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 you know developing the new version of your thing in a, in a complete silo. Um, and so I think a really interesting <laughs> problem that I had to solve a few years ago actually was uh, I was I was new on a team and. Um, I was hired to like re re-architect all of the UI, get us off of the legacy code. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's really funny. I've never actually talked about this story. So I'm, I'm realizing now like that, like maybe this is the origin story for me. Um, but you know, it, it was a backbone application and they wanted to switch to react. And I was like, we're not going to get rid of react. We're not going to get rid of all of these backbone views. Like the best part about of react is it's just a right. library. And so maybe we just build infrastructure so that this whole new view, this, you know, this new set of functionality that we're adding, maybe that's react. And, you know, and we were able to kind of, uh, push forward having all of our new views be React components um, while still leveraging the backbone components. Like those two, those two things lived next, you know, in one ecosystem. It was a little more work, but we were able to slowly replace everything mm -hmm. while still driving value, while getting, you know, feedback from, from customers in the wild. And like, that's the type of challenge. Like for me, that's, that's what makes like a senior engineer. That's what makes an architect. That's what makes, you know, uh, like that's what makes for somebody who really understands like the challenges and nuances of our craft. And so, um, you know, uh, this is like, we, we have more code now, like than ever our, our, uh, forget our code. Like most of our code is actually third party dependencies. I think Google just did a, a, a study on, on that. And the, it's like out of every 10 lines of, of, of JavaScript, like it's one line of code that's belongs to the application. Mm. You know, so it's, it's so I, it, that's a shocking yeah, number, sure. right? But but if you think about it, I mean, it's it's no surprise because I mean the open source model is working. That was what it, it was designed to do. You know, we're not we don't want to be reinventing the wheel. We want to be building on prop. You know, standing on the shoulders of giants. But at the same time, uh, you know, we we need to understand. Um, we we need to be able to move quickly and shift. You know, and so if I need to if I if I want to switch dependencies. Like I want to be able to do so in a way that isn't going to set me back, or I, I want to be able to do so in a way that's, um, you know, safe. If I, and it's not just changing dependencies; it's it's about upgrading and all kinds of things. And so there's a culture now with some of the larger frameworks, Angular being one of them, where, you know, they'll they'll give you a set of transforms um, with your with with the version bump. You know, so they're like, all right, like new major release. Sorry for the breaking changes, but you know, we're we're now we're now uh, we're now going to give you uh, a, a command to run so that you can migrate from like five to six, yeah. six to seven. That's you know? awesome. And so the bar is getting, yeah, yeah. So this is great. This is like when browsers compete for security and speed and all these other things. You know, so these big libraries are now competing on user experience and, and DX more so actually yeah. developer experience, right? right? And so uh, so the bar is getting higher because the stakes are getting higher and. Uh, 
you know, it's it's uh, we can start adopting those those practices like in our own code bases as application developers, you know, and and that's and that's my and that's my pitch. I like that pitch, and I know we have this shared metaphor that I'll just I'm not introducing either to you, either of you to it, but we have this metaphor of technical debt and this idea that you are taking on debt in order to gain somewhere else, and eventually, you know, the the debt collector is going to come unless you manage that. <laughs> over time. And, you know, in finance, we have ways out. We can declare a bankruptcy. Um, of course, if you do it like Michael Scott, it doesn't quite work, where he just walks out and says, bankruptcy! I don't know if you saw that episode, but it's one of my favorites. You can't just you can't just say the word out loud, Michael. That's not I how... Yeah, he just goes that. out into the office and he just declares bankruptcy. And uh, <laughs> who is that? Oscar, the accountant's like, that's, that's not how it works. You can't just that's declare it. bankruptcy. Anyways, off topic. But, you know... We have a lot of people declaring bankruptcy with their technical debt. That's where I'm trying to get to because maybe it's part of these, the, the tie-in with the Silicon Valley mindset, the startup mindset of like, you know, you have to have a bunch of people spin up new things and then they die and then here comes a unicorn out of that, right? Like a thousand failures, here comes one success. Uh, maybe that mindset is tied in with the technological advances and we get to this point where it's like, well, a new thing has to begin. Um I'm with you very much so on the on maintaining legacy code and and that being really the the software that provides value over a series of years is de facto legacy, right? It's the reason why it's still around is because it's providing real value to real people. But is there a point where you've come across any code where it's like, you know what? You guys didn't manage the technical debt here. We're, there's no I like the idea of pushing the thing forward, but sometimes you're like pushing up against a wall. Um, are there limits to this? Yeah. Are there limits to this ideology or can we refactor, you know, all things? Uh, I, I'm, I'm sure there's, um, I'm sure there is, there are, there are cases like I think, although I think they're very, very rare where you have to completely, um, you know, just abandon ship for the entire project. But, but with, with the kind of module by module Mm. approach, the idea here is that like, you know, you're taking kind of one vertical segment. And replacing it, and then throwing away the code that you don't want, right? Or you're doing it, or you're doing it, yeah, or you're refactoring in place. So either either one. Um, but I think for me, an acknowledgement that we don't make enough in our industry, and I and I think you're totally right about um, your kind of analysis on. You know, maybe it's Silicon Valley culture. Maybe you know, we there's some kind of um, culture bleeding you yeah. know, here uh, with um, just um, a, a race to the top, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but but we don't acknowledge like I feel like enterprise code is like it's its own beast in our community. You know, so you're either like it's enterprise versus like small medium versus like you know the create React app. Uh, world, right? And so uh, these three kind of paradigms where I think the, um, where nobody wants to be enterprise, like I think we even coined the term like enterprise dude in the team team that I was on. Like, enterprise dude always ruins everything for everybody, you know. It's like, so enterprise dude is always relying on like the like the like the least supported version of something, yes. and like is holding back people from being able to upgrade things, you know. Anyways, but <laughs> enterprise, so real software, like software that's been out in the wild that has had multiple developers work on it, and like you know just like. Re, like applications at scale have crust yes. 
Uh, you know, I've yet to kind of see applications at scale that don't use multiple languages, that don't have like just arcane like stories behind why this weirdo thing exists. You know, it's like, all right, when you open this file, you're going to have to turn around three yeah. times and tap your nose <laughs> once. <laughs> like it's just, it's the, just the most hilarious stories, you know, but, but, but applications are living, breathing, they have craft, that's normal. Like, so I want to normalize weirdness because that's just like how applications evolve over time with multiple people. Yeah. And so, you know, it's okay. There's, there's, there has to be some uncomfortableness in our code bases because ultimately like, you know, you have to have something to be pushing, pushing forward as a team. Like, you know, I, I envy the, the, the folks who are like really happy about everything and you know, congratulations to them. Um, maybe this talk isn't mm. for them, you know, but this talk is for the like 99% of us that yeah. are, <laughs> that are remaining that have like hashtag real problems, you know? <laughs> I so. think it's, uh, Mike Tyson said, everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. You know, and that's when everybody's plan goes out the window, basically. He knows that pretty well because he's punched a lot of people in the face. I think, you know, code is kind of like that. Like, we all have just beautiful, perfect, you know, pristine code until it hits production. It hits the real world. Right. And once that happens, like, stuff, you know, it hits the fan and you got to make changes. And so the longer it's been in the real world, uh, you know, the more craggly it's going to look. I'm looking at this picture on Martin Fowler's blog of the Strangler fig application. I'm thinking that code is, or that, cool? code, that tree. <laughs> That's an abstract, some yeah. kind of a tree. That tree is crazy looking, you know? <laughs> it's yeah. crazy looking. But yeah, I mean, at the very minimum, you always have the CEO button, right? If, 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 your, if your code is perfect, I, 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 I challenge you to, you know, to find like, uh, you know, one decision that wasn't like the CEO button decision where it's just like, you know, just put it there, <laughs> make, it, make happen. it happen, like ship it now, like, yeah, you know? Thanks, so, CEOs. Um, yeah. Well, now your talk is the first day of the conference, right? So you're on day one. That's the October 14th. The conference actually happens October 13th or 15th. There's some workshops, et cetera, going on. If you are planning to go to this conference, which I would suggest you do so, because, hey, we're going to be there. That's As a right. matter of fact, we're planning to have a live JS party at All Things Open. Mm. ML might be a, a future panelist or a future guest panelist on JS Party, so hopeful <laughs> there at least. Um, yeah. CML day one, but I'm not sure which day our live thing is, but it's definitely going to be there. All things open happening in Raleigh, North Carolina, October 13th through 15th this year. And if you are thinking of registering, I would say that right now between the end of the month, their mid tier pricing is still active. So October 1st, it goes a little higher. It's still a very inexpensive conference, even on its most expensive ticket period is 279. So not a very expensive conference to go to. Amazing speakers. Emily, you'll be there, of course. Jared and Cable will be on stage doing something. I'm not sure. What, what is the plan, Jared? Do you have a plan? The plan, no plan is, the plan will be revealed <laughs> when the plan is revealed. Yeah, it, it's, 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 it's going to be a fit. It's a fantastic conference. Um, it's a, like just incredible speakers yeah. and lots of, yeah, I think an, it attracts an audience that is kind of, you know, really diverse and also has just a, an interesting breadth of problems. Yeah. And so um, highly recommend it. I'm really excited to be speaking there this year. I want to give a quick shout out too to Todd Lewis, the organizer uh, of that conference. He does such hard work to make that conference happen each year. Uh, every time I talk to him, he's always moving. He's always moving. He's never still. He's, he's always going. So Todd, great work on this conference. Looking forward to being there. Our first time there was in 2016, so we're glad to be back. 
And uh, Emma, thank you so much for your time today and sharing your wisdom. You are welcome back. Thank you so much. And uh, it was fun talking to you today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Changelog. Hey, guess what? We have discussions on every single episode now. So head to changelog.com to discuss this episode. And if you want to help us grow this show, reach more listeners and influence more developers, do us a favor and give us a rating or review in iTunes or Apple Podcasts. If you use Overcast, give us a star. If you tweet, tweet a link. If you make lists of your favorite podcasts, include us in it. Also, thanks to Fastly, our bandwidth partner, Rollbar, our monitoring service, and Linode, our cloud server of choice. This episode is hosted by myself, Adam Stukoviak, and Jared Santo, and our music is done by Breakmaster Cylinder. If you want to hear more episodes like this, subscribe to our master feed at changelog.com master, or go into your podcast app and search for Changelog Master. You'll find it. Thank you for tuning in this week. We'll see you again soon.